Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. We've got a variety of things to uh, talk about today. It's going to be one of those fasten your seatbelts. Lots of information coming your way. And a lot of it has been revolving around what's been going on with China. And then, of course, the word coming out on Bear with their deal when it comes to Roundup and, and Dicamba. We're going to get an update on African swine fever, where we're at harvest-wise when it comes to winter wheat. And most importantly, a name change for FC Stone. Arlen Suderman is joining us today. And Arlen, we're going to start there. You guys, uh, with as a company, had some big news today. We really do. Been waiting for this for a long time. We're excited about our rebranding. Uh, people have uh, long been confused about the INTL FC Stone name. It's a tongue twister. It does help people remember you, but not necessarily how to pronounce the name. And uh, we've been growing as a company. Uh, a dozen years or so ago, we were 150 employees, and, and now we're almost 3,000 employees in a global company. So we hung on to the uh, the core of our name that people know us in agriculture from, the stone part. Um, and uh, we will become StoneX. In fact, have become StoneX Group today, StoneX Group Incorporated. So... Uh, you can refer to us as StoneX and not have to uh, go through the tongue twister of INTLFC Stone anymore. And uh, we're excited about that. Well, that is great news for you guys. And, and folks can read more about it, by the way, on our website at rowradio.com. That's where the news release is on StoneX and what used to be now FC Stone. Uh, China, They have. there's been so much in the news lately about China. He said, he said... And a lot of misinformation, uncertainties going on. How is all of that affecting what we're seeing in the trade today? Well, you know, we're really at a point now of buying time in this market to really see how things sort out. China's at a point of decision. Um, and, and part of this plays into the politics of it. China is a nation where it's leadership, and it went under communist control 70 years ago. They just celebrated their 70th anniversary uh, last October, um, and I, I don't know if they've ever received so much negative scrutiny as they have um, here in recent months, and certainly this current regime has not um, for the coronavirus and how they handled or mishandled that, uh, the Hong Kong, uh, removing freedoms from Hong Kong, some of the things they've done militarily, taken over sections of the South China Sea, which is a key trade route, building uh, false islands there which on which they could build uh, military bases to control the region. Uh, just It goes on and on and on. They had to skirmish with India last week where some troops were killed. Uh, in the Himalayas region, and so they're receiving significant scrutiny. And as our office in in Shanghai stated uh, in recent days, uh, the trade agreement is the one positive thing that they do have that can help them maintain a working relationship with the United States. Because if the phase one trade deal gets scuttled, they really don't have much. And so that's why they do have some incentive to maintain it. But they really don't like how President Trump has held a hard line against them. And uh, they've been able to have their way with presidents of both parties in the past. Um, based on, and at least that's their perception. That's their understanding. They would like to outlast President Trump. 
Um, so what do they do? If they don't keep the agreement, then they risk uh, losing what support they may have in the United States among the public here. Um, and they risk President Trump taking action in the way of more capital controls, which I think is what they fear most. Um, but if they do keep the trade agreement, they may help President Trump win re-election. And I'm not sure they really want that to happen either. Um, but uh, they have been buying soybeans because they need soybeans to fill the gap between when they've emptied the bins in Brazil and the next Brazil harvest, uh, when the next Brazil new crop supplies become available in February. They've been buying pork because they have a shortage of pork because of African swine fever. They don't have a choice. But the real test is going to be their, what purchase, purchases they make or don't make of corn, ethanol, and distiller's grains. That's the real key. And I think it gets real interesting, and I know I'm running on here, Susan, but it, it gets real interesting, as I've been telling our clients. Um, they're running a deficit of corn. Even with African swine fever, they're consuming about 30 million metric tons more corn per year than what they're, con- than what they're producing. That's about 1.2 billion bushels. So they have a policy decision. We think they're temporary um, reserve is going to be empty by the end of the summer. So are they going to open up their quotas and allow larger imports? They're currently importing about 7 million metric tons, most of it from the Black Sea. And will they allow up the, you know, the major imports that they need in order to keep meat prices down? Or will they allow the consumers to face more food inflation just so they don't have to allow more meat import or excuse me, corn imports? Um, so, and they're going to have to make that decision relatively soon, I think. And then will they allow ethanol production, ethanol imports as what the Secretary of State's office hinted at last week? Will they buy, allow distillers grains to come into the country as buyers over there tell us they're really interested in? That has huge implications for the U.S. market when we're expecting a surplus in the next marketing year of about 3.3 billion bushels. We need to find a way to knock about 1.8 billion of that off. And we can do that if we have some weather problems and we get this unexpected demand from China. We can significantly contribute to that if we can do it. Lots of things to look at when it comes to China. When we come back, we're going to uh, continue this China discussion, uh, and then we're going to look at some livestock. We do know we have a hogs and pigs report that comes out tomorrow, and we'll find out more about what's going on with African swine fever. Stick around. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Better. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield as we continue our conversation with Arlen Suderman with StoneX. It's going to get a little bit getting used to, Arlen, but some, some good news for you. If folks um, missed the very beginning of it, it is a new ch- name change for SC Stone, so they are now StoneX. We talked, Arlen, at the front half about all this stuff that's been going on with China, and you talked towards the end about the deficit that's been taking place. Does that surprise you? And with you guys having employees in China, did it surprise them that they heard about this deficit? 
No, we've been we've been talking about this for several years internally, and we've been watching it. We've got contacts in China, very close to the reserve situation, we, and uh, we think USDA is over-reporting it. We're very confident that USDA is over-reporting the size of Chinese corn stocks. What we don't know, and what USDA really doesn't report on either in their balance sheet, is what the size of the permanent reserve is. Um, and how comfortable would China be in allowing that to open up to fill some of the need? Uh, my guess is, in studying China, that they're not comfortable opening that up because during the coronavirus epidemic, um, they did have supply disruptions that have really returned an emphasis on building those reserves and not letting them go down. So right now the emphasis is on maintaining big reserves, not small reserves, they're not going to let our cheap corn flood their domestic market because one of their main objectives is to support rural income for their hundreds of millions of farmers. Um, but they could buy our cheap corn and put it in their reserve to blend it with the lower quality corn and then release it when it's appropriate to the market. And they could make a profit at doing that. Bear, um, this and this announcement came out right before we started uh, recording the Fontenelle Final Bell. They have made a deal when it comes to to Roundup. How is that going to have an effect on the markets, or is it with the grains? Well, I think it's probably good for Bayer to try to get this behind them, and and I think there's been a lot of fear in the industry. You know, are we going to lose uh, our Dakamba products, or are we going to lose our Roundup products? It looks like Bayer's trying to bring some settlement to these issues. Um, it was encouraging to hear a, a judge really reinforce the fact that uh, there's a lack of scientific support for the uh, accusations against Roundup that, that have been held up in the courts, by, at least by a jury court, um, that uh, you see many lawyers talking about on TV uh, and emphasizing the relative safety of these products. But we need stability in agriculture, and uh, hopefully this will help provide some stability. Jump over to the livestock side. We have a hogs and pigs report that comes out tomorrow. Do you expect any surprises? Uh, there's a high chance it will have a surprise. This is probably one of the most anticipated quarterly hogs and pigs reports that we have had in many years. The overall expectation is that we're going to see 103% of year-ago levels of all hogs and pigs. But there's a wide range of expectations there, varying from about 102.1 to 105.1%. And then the breeding herd is expected to be down almost 2%. We know that this spring we saw a lot of culling of animals. We saw euthanization of animals. Uh, we saw uh, a big jump in sow slaughter numbers. And this will be our first real um, opportunity to get beyond just the anecdotal stories to see just how many pigs were euthanized, uh, how many sows were liquidated, what kind of contraction did we have. And um, it, it, it really could be some surprises there in both directions. And hopefully we'll finally be able to have a better handle on what the supply of hogs is out there. Speaking of supply of hogs out there, let's jump back over to China once again. Where are we with uh, African swine fever, and is it seeing a pickup? Yeah, Robobank just came out with a report. They're saying production will be down 20% uh, this year, but it's really kind of playing with the numbers. Uh, it is rebuilding, as I talked to our team there. 
uh, where it is is hard to say, but if you kind of do some math, you kind of look at what's happening with the feed industry and feed demand. Uh, we felt like at one point we were down maybe 60 to 70 percent on numbers, and now it feels a little bit more like maybe we're down 30 percent or so from where we were pre-ASF. Any thoughts on the cattle market as we wrap things up? Uh, we saw online exchange to go for 95 to $97, um, and that's kind of what the board has priced into it. That's a little bit below where the August contract is, but that kind of fits the basis trend. feels like we're getting back to normal now on that relationship and now watching the product prices. All right. Sounds good, Arlen. What's the best way for folks to get a hold of you? Uh, well, I was going to say intlfcstone.com. It will be uh, <laughs> stonex.com um, or on Twitter, Arlen. FF 101. Thanks so much. Arlen Suderman joining us today. Just a reminder, commodity futures and options do involve substantial risk of loss and are not suitable for all investors. That is the Fontenelle Final Bell being brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local Fontenelle dealers. Check it out as a podcast at our website, ruralradio.com, wherever you subscribe and on Spotify as well. That's the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to the Rural Radio.